This is a podcast from the University of Manchester's Jodrell Bank Center for Astrophysics. For the full show and archives, visit jodcast.net. The night sky for October 2019. Well, of course, well, as the evenings are drawing in, we don't have to stay up quite so late to observe the heavens. And there's more that we can see, too, in the longer hours. Sometime after sunset, looking high towards the west, we can see what is still the summer triangle, even though it's autumn. The bright stars Deneb in Cygnus, Vega in Lyra, and Altair in Aquila, making up what's called the summer triangle. Moving over towards the south, not quite so bright stars, we have in fact the great square of Pegasus, the upside-down winged horse. The top left-hand star of the square of Pegasus is actually called Alpharat, which is actually Alpha Andromedae. And it starts a possible way to find M31, the Andromeda galaxy. Just move one brightish star to its left, round a little bit to the right to a rather brighter star, which is actually Beta Andromedae, then go 90 degrees right, past one relatively bright star, and the same distance again, you may even with your unaided eye on a really dark night, see a fuzzy patch. It'll be very obvious in binoculars. And that, of course, is M31, the Andromeda galaxy, the nearest giant galaxy to us. The nice thing about observing it is that when you see it, the photons that your eye is perceiving left there two and a half million years ago. You're looking back into time. High above the square of Pegasus, is the W-shaped constellation of Cassiopeia. And in fact, the right-hand V of that constellation, the bright stars, also points down to Andromeda. Rising over to the east later in the evening is the constellation of Taurus the Bull, with the Hyades cluster, and up to its right, the rather lovely Pleiades cluster, beautiful in binoculars or a small telescope. Well, what about the planets? In principle, there are six major planets to observe this month. But to be honest, only one of them is much cop. Um, let's have a look at them. Jupiter, shining on the first of the month at magnitude minus two and falling just a touch as October progresses, can be seen low in the southwest as darkness falls. During the month, its angular size drops from 35.8 to 33.5 arc seconds. But lying in the southern eastern part of Ophiuchus, it's heading towards the southernmost part of the ecliptic. So as it appears in twilight, it will only have an elevation of around 10 degrees. And with its low elevation, atmospheric dispersion will take its toll. Now, in fact, Saturn, not a bad month for Saturn. It'll be seen in the south as darkness falls at the start of the month. Then its disk is 17.8 arc seconds across, and the rings, which are still at 25.2 degrees, nicely tilted to the line of sight, spanning some 41 arc seconds across. During the month, the brightness drops slightly from plus 0.5 to plus 0.6, and the angular size falls to 16 arc seconds. Again, Saturn is now in Sagittarius and lying on the southeastern side of the Milky Way. It is at the lowest point of the ecliptic and will only reach an elevation 
of around 14 degrees. Well, now Mercury. It reaches eastern elongation at an angular distance of 24.6 degrees from the Sun on the 19th of October. But sadly, as the ecliptic is at such a shallow angle to the horizon at this time of the year, its elevation of sunset, just 1.5 degrees, is so low it'll be very hard to spot, lying to the upper left of Venus. So you'll need a very low southwestern horizon and almost certainly the use of binoculars. But of course, please do not use them until after the sun has set. Now Mars, which passed behind the sun, that's called superior conjunction, on September the 2nd, returns to the pre-dawn sky at the start of its new apparition. It might just be glimpsed south of east in the latter part of the month, but will only have an elevation of about 11 degrees at sunrise by the end of the month. So again, binoculars could well be needed to spot its 1.8th magnitude, 3.7 arc second disc. But don't, of course, use them once the sun has risen. Venus, I mentioned it briefly earlier, may be glimpsed in the west-southwest some 30 minutes after sunset at the start of October. It'll be very difficult to see, just like Mercury, because angle of the ecliptic is so shallow relative to the horizon. By month's end, it sets about one after the sun, but will still be hard to spot. Its magnitude remains at about minus 3.9, and its disk, 10 arc seconds across, is almost fully lit. Binoculars and a very low horizon will be needed, but again, 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 please don't use them until the sun has set. Well, what about the highlights? As I've said, it's not a bad month to observe Saturn. It's now at a low elevation just west of south as darkness falls, lying above the teapot of Sagittarius. Held steady, binoculars should enable you to see Saturn's brightest moon, Titan, having a magnitude of 8.2. A small telescope will show you the rings, and one of 6 to 8 inches aperture, with a magnification of about times 200, with a night of good seeing, will show Saturn and its beautiful ring system in its full glory. But remember, at such a low elevation, the atmosphere will have quite an effect. The thing that makes Saturn stand out is, of course, its ring system. The two outermost rings, A and B, are separated by a gap called Cassini's division, which should be visible in a telescope of four or more inches aperture. Lying within the B ring, but far less bright and difficult to spot, is the C or crepe ring. Due to the orientation of Saturn's rotation axis of 27 degrees with respect to the plane of the solar system, the orientation of the rings as seen by us as it orbits the Sun changes, and twice each orbit they lie edge on to us and can hardly be seen. This last happened in 2009, they're currently at an angle of about 25 degrees to the line of sight, and they will continue to narrow until about March 2025. So some things to see in the sky. They're most of the time, but probably quite good to observe in the autumn. 
I won't go through the details because they're all on the Night Sky page. Just search for Night Sky Jodrell Bank and you'll find out little star charts and some more details. But, for example, there's a nice globular cluster, M13, the best that can be seen in the Northern Hemisphere, and that's in Hercules. And also, moving over to the east in Lyra, there's a lovely pair of stars called the Double Double, which, if you use monoculars, you'll see as two stars, but with a telescope under good seeing conditions, each of those is, in fact, a pair of stars. Later in the evening, you can observe between the constellations of Cassiopeia and Perseus what is called the double cluster. Rather nice in binoculars, even better in a small telescope. And one of the stars in Perseus is called Algol, the demon star, because its brightness normally at about uh, magnitude 2.2, but every 2.86 days briefly drops to magnitude 3.4. And that's because it's an eclipsing binary. And I give two times in the month, in the evening, when you might be able to spot that happening. October's also a good month to find Uranus. Because it reaches opposition on October the 28th. With a magnitude of 5.7, binoculars should easily spot it. And from a really dark site, it might even be visible to the unaided eye. A medium aperture telescope, say of 8 inches aperture, will reveal Uranus's 3.7 arc second wide disk, perhaps showing its turquoise colour. It lies in Aries, close to the border of Pisces and Cetus. And in fact, there's a chart on the night sky page to show you where to look. There's another nice asterism to observe in October. It's called the Kotanger. And all you have to do is to start from the lower star of the summer triangle, Altair, and move about a third of the way up towards Vega. There's quite a dark patch of the Milky Way called the Cygnus Rift, and against that there's a very nice little asterism properly called Brocky's Cluster, but usually we call it the Coat Hanger because it looks like an upside-down Coat Hanger. It's a very pretty object. On October the 3rd, after sunset, Jupiter lies quite near the moon and Jupiter will be down to the lower left of a waxing crescent moon. On October the 5th, after sunset, low in the south, Saturn will be seen just up to the left of the first quarter moon. And finally, on October the 17th, in the late evening, looking southeast, the waning moon will be seen up to the left of Aldebaran, which is appearing as part of the Hyades cluster in Taurus, but in fact Aldebaran is not part of the cluster and lies much closer to us. Well, I hope you get, make the most of the darker skies we have this month. Thanks for that, Ian. And for our Southern Hemisphere listeners, here's Haritina Mogasanu with Samuel Lisk with the uh, night sky where you are. Welcome to Galactic Conversations, our monthly podcast about amazing things in the night sky. We are here in Wellington, New Zealand at 41 degrees latitude south and are bringing you the night sky from down under. We have some instructions for you as to what to do with the October night sky. 
New Zealand switched to summertime. That is, we put our clocks forward one hour. We're seriously starting to think now about solar astronomy. As very soon, there's going to be not so many things in the sky. We had all these months, we had the galactic center out there spoiling us with all those amazing objects. The fish hook of Maui sinks towards the western horizon. That's how we call Scorpius in here. And with it, the galactic center. But this is a month when you can still see many wonderful objects in the night sky. The Magellanic Clouds are still there and especially the small Magellanic Cloud is good to observe after sunset. Grus, the crane, famous constellation with double doubles, is getting close to the zenith this month. The sun is in Virgo until November the 1st and Pisces lay on the horizon at sunset. Mercury, Venus and the Moon all get up close and personal just after sunset on 30th of October. Mercury and Venus will be just under 3 degrees apart and the waxing crescent moon will be just 8 degrees away from the pair of planets. Through a telescope you will see the three different phases of the different celestial bodies, with the moon being just a slither, Mercury being 35% illuminated and Venus nearly full at 94%. To achieve this configuration, Venus is on the other side of the Sun to Earth's position, with Mercury almost halfway between. Observable comets are also in the southern sky, 289P Blanpain and C 2018 W2 Africano at the Aquarius end of Pisces. So, what are we going to do this month? Let's make a plan. Make an observing plan before you go out. We usually do have one. There is a cool option in Sky Safari, which is an app we use a lot to do that. Although these days, every time we go out observing, we always carry a DSLR camera with us as well as a tripod to take wide field photographs of the night sky and whatever cameras we can get on a telescope for the deep sky. Mostly now is about astrophotography or drawing through a telescope and that's very exciting about observing. And knowing that you captured those photons that traveled for thousands of years, some even millions of, you know, even just four years when we look at the closest uh, neighbor here in the southern hemisphere alpha centauri it's an amazing thing a little bit about october as we always do say something about the month that we're in october comes from the greek octo which means eight is the eighth month in the old calendar of romulus which was around 750 bc the original calendar consisted of 10 months beginning in spring with march October retained its name after January and February were inserted into the original calendar. This calendar is believed to be created by early kings Romulus and Numa Pompilius and bears traces of its origin as an observational lunar calendar. The first day was a calenda from which the name calendar derives and it signified the start of a new lunar phase. On this day, the pontiffs, that's kind of like a Roman priest, would announce the number of days until the next month at the Curia Calabra, a temple. In addition, debtors had to pay off their debts on this day. These debts were inscribed in the Calendaria, which was effectively an accounting book. The early Romans had Calende, None and Ide, which seemed to have derived from the first sighting of the crescent moon, the first quarter moon and the full moon respectively. 
Of course, being a lunar calendar, it was out of sync with the seasons and created a lot of havoc in the Roman Empire. And it also gave birth to the expression Greek calendar, which means never. After the establishment of the Roman Republic, years began to be dated by consulships and control over intercalation was granted to the pontifice, who eventually abused their power by lengthening years controlled by their political allies and shortening the years in their rivals' terms of office. Having won his war with Pompey, Caesar used his position as Rome's chief pontiff to enact a calendar reform in 46 BC, coincidentally marking the year of his third consulship last for 446 days. So, October is now the 10th month of the year, even though its uh, original name means the 8th month of the year, and it's a beautiful month here in the Southern Hemisphere. We have springtime, and obviously in the Northern Hemisphere, people experience autumn. What's the sun up to? The reality is that the sun does not spend an equal amount of time passing through the zodiacal constellations for the simple reason that these constellations are different areas, patches in the sky. So technically, this month, the sun is in Virgo until the 1st of November when it moves into Libra and has been in Virgo since the 17th of September. Virgo is a really long constellation to transit. Let's have a look at Zenit. What's at Zenit? Beautiful Sagittarius is at Zenit just after sunset. And then as the month progresses, it's replaced by other amazing constellations such as Microscopium, which is basically a rectangle. And then one of our favorite constellations grows towards the middle of the month or later on in the evening, whichever you prefer. The cool thing about Grus, the crane, is that it has many double stars. I love it. It's almost, um, it almost looks like a curved line, like an imaginary tail of the crane that points towards the small Magellanic cloud. So that's how you can find the small Magellanic cloud. Just follow the tail of the crane in the neighboring constellation, which is another bird, the toucan. In addition to that, another favorite of mine, Fomalhaut, the star, is getting very close to Zenit this time of the year. So all you have to do is just lift up your eyes, look up, look above your head. That's where Zenit is. I love Fomalhaut because when I was in the Northern Hemisphere, before I traveled here, it was the southernmost star that I could see. And it was said to show the passage south. It actually does if you know where to look. Fomalhaut is one of the royal stars along with Antares, Regulus and Aldebaran. The royal stars were the guardians of the sky. 5,000 years ago during the time of the ancient Persians in the area of modern day Iran. Persians believed that the sky was divided into four districts with each district being guarded by one of the four royal stars. Fomalhaut is part of the constellation Piscis Austrinus. Along with the other royal stars, um, they were believed to hold both good and evil powers. And the Persians looked at these stars for guidance in scientific calculations of the sky, uh, for the calendars, for lunar and solar cycles, and of course, for predictions about the future. And talking about predictions about the future... And humanity's oldest calendar, the zodiacal band that tells you what's going to come ahead, 
This is located on a very special part of the sky, which is called the ecliptic. It's that part of the sky that holds the path of the sun as we see it from here, from Earth. And other than bright planets, we always see planets on the ecliptic. It also hosts some bright stars. This time of the year, there's Zuben el Genubi and Zuben el Shamali in Libra plunging towards the western horizon. They're very close to, to the western horizon. And then red giant Antares in Scorpius and a few of the stars in Sagittarius that make the teapot. Capricornus has also some bright stars and its very characteristic shape of a golf flag make it very easy recognizable. Then this is kind of like at the end of the bright stars. We'll have to wait until very late in the night to see Taurus and Aldebaran, the other of the royal stars. And last but not least, Regulus in Leo will rise just before the sun. The Milky Way, Scorpius and Orion. The bulk of the Milky Way is on the western horizon. The galactic center slowly going down is sinking behind the sun. The Southern Cross, which is also visually in the Milky Way, is doing the same thing. It's doing its big descent as it dives towards the horizon, getting lower and lower each evening throughout the month, as seen after sunset. It is circumpolar, so it never disappears from the southern sky, but it means the lovely clusters and nebulae that you would have enjoyed in autumn and winter have long gone from being in a favorable viewing position. They now compete with the horizon. The other patch of the Milky Way that remains in a very good position for viewing is the area around Sagittarius and Scorpius with many globular clusters and nebulae, which are distant celestial clouds to look at. Some of Sam's highlights that he wrote down are bright nebulae such M16, the Eagle Nebula, Lagoon Nebula, and what he thinks is the very photogenic Triffid Nebula. Ptolemy's cluster is a great naked eye object that is visible between the two constellations. The South Circumpolar Zone, just after sunset, the Large Magellanic Cloud and the Southern Cross are close to the horizon, where the Small Magellanic Cloud is in a good position to observe. And if you want to go hunting for comets in the southern sky, you might be able to spot 289P Blanpain. I hope I'm pronouncing it correctly. It starts the month at 10.2 magnitude, so not very bright, but by the end of the month, it will be 8.8 .8 and quite close to the Helix Nebula. Another one worth having a look for is C2018W2 Africano, which starts the month at its brightest at the Aquarius end of Pisces. On Friday, the 4th of October, this comet will get about a degree from Neptune, so a great opportunity to get a photo of both these icy cold objects. The comet would be at magnitude 10 and Neptune would be at magnitude 7.8. Another interesting comet that we might catch a glimpse of is P2008Y12 Soho. That's quite a long name. This one will be approaching closer and closer to the Sun, and it can be found not far from Venus. So you'll need a fantastic horizon from here from Wellington and great conditions. It will brighten significantly as it gets near the Sun, but that will also make it impossible to see. The best time to see it will be at the beginning of October when the magnitude is 4.4, about 4 degrees to the right of uh, Mercury and 21 degrees from the Sun. So it should be high enough above the horizon and dark enough. The moon is full on October the 14th and we have a new moon on October the 28th. At 11 p.m. on 17th of October, 
The moon gets very close to Pluto, although at magnitude 14.4, Pluto will be well and truly overshadowed by the minus 10 magnitude moon, kind of almost um, like an occultation that you wouldn't be able to see easily anyway. On the 5th of October is the International Observe the Moon Night. So get out there with your telescopes, binoculars or just with your eyes and take a moment to appreciate the celestial body that gives our planet a handy tilt, tides and a day that's 24 hours long. Without the moon, we may not have been able to climb out of the primordial soup at all. Mercury, it's a good time to see Mercury at the start of the month with it being a good 20 degrees from the sun. Mercury should be easy to spot if you have a good western horizon. Just look for Venus after sunset, almost on the horizon, and then the next brightest, slightly orange thing above it is Mercury. Jupiter is as always amazing to view, though it's starting to get a bit further away from us as compared to a month ago. At the start of the month, the gas giant will take up to 36 art seconds of your eyepiece, but by the end of the month, this will have reduced to just a bit more than 33 art seconds. Jupiter sets about 1.23 a.m. at the start of the month and by the end it is setting at 11.48 p.m. You will be able to see Europa cross the planet's disk on the 3rd in the early evening as soon as the sun goes down, followed by Io again and around 9 p.m. The next good one to watch is on the 10th at 7.15 p.m. when Europa and then shortly followed by Io pass in front of Jupiter. Another one of these paired moons crossing starts at 10 p.m. on the evening of the 18th as well. So there are plenty of opportunities to catch an eclipse on Jupiter this month. Saturn? Over the course of the month, Saturn gets about 100 million kilometers further away but starts in a good position for viewing. Saturn is almost a month behind Jupiter with its setting at 1.20 a.m. at the end of the month and setting at the start of the month at 3.10 a.m. Another planet that is worth taking a look at, though don't expect to see much, is Neptune. This cold gas giant is over 4.3 billion kilometers away. It is so far away that it takes light from Neptune four hours to get to the Earth. You might be able to make it out the hint of a disk, but an apparent size of 2.4 art seconds you may need to use a bit of imagination though you will see the bluish hue of Neptune. You can find it by looking for the bright star Phi Aquarii in Aquarius and it's about 40 arc minutes from that star. Uranus is also worth looking at it if you happen to be up quite late as it doesn't rise until about 10 p.m. at the start of the month and 7.35 p.m. by the end of the month. This planet is a bit closer at 2.8 billion kilometers and its apparent size is 3.7 arc seconds so you shouldn't need to use too much imagination to see the greenish hue of its disk. Happy observe the moon night on the 5th of October and clear skies from us here in Wellington. Very special thanks to Sam for writing the section on the solar system and very many thanks as usual to Rian Sheehan for allowing us to use his amazing music. By carefully counting the number of stars in small but representative regions of the sky, we find that the total number of stars in the Milky Way is about 400 billion. That's a lot of stars. 